This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 and 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. In a few minutes, I'll be talking with Lauren Roberts, Saratoga County historian. She is one of the producers of a documentary about the creation of Sacandaga Reservoir, a flood control reservoir built to protect cities on the Hudson River from devastating flooding. Now renamed Great Sacandaga Lake, the body of water has become a major recreation resource in the southern Adirondacks. The documentary is called Harnessing Nature, Building the Great Sacandaga Lake. We'll listen to some experts from the documentary, then talk with Lauren Roberts. For centuries, Native people and later mainly European immigrants lived where the lake is today in the Sacandaga Valley along what was then the Sacandaga River. British colonist Sir William Johnson, for example, who lived in 18th century Johnstown, New York, led fishing parties to the Sacandaga River. The documentary narrator is Donald James. Sir William Johnson, the superintendent of Indian Affairs for the British Crown, was the single largest landholder in the Mohawk Valley, and his holdings extended to the southern portion of the Sacandaga Valley, known as the Great Vlie. Johnson, who was well known for his service in the Seven Years' War, built two lodges, Summer House for entertaining and Fish House for fishing and hunting. Though these properties were burned during the American Revolution, this area is still referred to as Fish House by locals. Both the French and Indian War and the American Revolution exposed soldiers to the rich natural resources of the valley. After hostilities subsided, land patents previously issued by the British government were surveyed and the patentees began selling tracts of land to early European settlers migrating west. In the 19th century, the Fonda, Johnstown, and Gloversville Railroad was constructed to link those cities. Eventually, the line extended to Northville, and the railroad built Sacandaga Park, an elaborate amusement complex that you reached by railroad. The area known as Sacandaga Park began as a Methodist meeting camp in the mid-1800s when the FJ&G Railroad acquired the local short line in 1881. The property was soon adorned with a number of beautiful lodges. But after a destructive fire in 1898, the FJ&G Railroad decided to rebuild the park and embark upon an enormous expansion. And then the railroad company realized that in other places, after the war, there were parks being made. And they said, ho ho, why don't we just capitalize on this and make ourselves a, a, a park? And so they did. And they had Midway, they had everything in Midway. Oh, the beautiful, most beautiful um, carousel. And donkeys that you ride. And they had a big uh, area where you could ride around in the, with the donkeys and there was a bowling alley and a house of fun and um, uh, shooting galleries and, and a beautiful roller skating rink that um, what, turned, what turned into a dancing pavilion afterwards. Uh, but I never saw any, a more beautiful uh, rink anywhere and I've roller skated in quite a lot of places. In the 20th century, 
The state of New York grew increasingly concerned with annual destructive floods in cities along the Hudson River. Mainly to alleviate that flooding, the Sacandaga Reservoir was proposed to serve as a kind of holding tank so that water flow could be regulated as it went into the Hudson. From the documentary, The Voice of Charlotte Duncan Russell. When I was a little girl, I heard them talking about uh, uh, making a dam. And that was when I was probably seven or eight years old, when they were beginning to talk about that. I had nightmares because I could think, and they were going to flood the valley. That was what they talked about. And I could think of the flood in the Bible. And I really had nightmares about that. And I thought, oh, they can't do that to people. All through the 1920s, the land was cleared in the Sacandaga Valley, and a dam was built at Conklingville. From the documentary, John Ferguson on the efficiency of the project. The quality of the work for the type of equipment that they had was really quite extraordinary. And when you think the whole project, the whole project, the purchase of 1,200 parcels of land, the building of the dam, the building of all the roads and the bridges, the removal of the cemeteries, the purchase of all the land, all that was done for $12 million. It's extraordinary, I think. It was an amazing accomplishment, actually. And now you have you have this beautiful lake that attracts people and uh, creates, uh, creates something in the way of a new industry that was really never intended and something that's really quite special, I think. The gates of the Conklingville Dam were closed and the Sacandaga Reservoir filled up in 1930. In the documentary, divers tell about what you see underwater today at Great Sacandaga Lake. I've been diving to Sacandaga now for about 12 years. We uh, usually go up to Conklinville. Today we dove on the Day Center Bridge. Uh, was our first dive. We uh, dropped down in the darkness and started looking. We found a uh, steel iron truss bridge. And we followed it along to see where its course was and the piers and things like that. When we found it, in the upright position and took video of it where you could actually see the uh, guardrails, so, so to speak, on the sides of the bridge. Second dive we did was up at Conklinville, which they moved the bridge off of the piers into the river bottom. They didn't blow them up as you can witness. You'll see the top of the piers in the video that they just cut the bolts and then just pushed it off with some kind of excavator or something. Aside from the two bridges, Day Center and Conklinville, uh, about the only other thing we've seen is empty foundations uh, that had the buildings on, but they burned the buildings down and they just left the foundations as they were. Uh, the streets, you can see tree stumps where the trees used to line the streets, but all you see is the roads and foundations. There's no churches down there, church steeples, no structures, uh, no signs, just empty 
desolate area where a village once stood. Great Sacandaga Lake today is ringed with camps, mostly summer homes for people from nearby and far away. One of the great traditions is the Labor Day weekend ring of fire, when bonfires are lighted at camps all around the lake. Sylvia Parker explained in the documentary that her family started the ring of fire tradition. My mom, Agnes Gilbert, started the Ring of Fire, but it was because of my brother, Louie. He got her interested in it. My brother had a cottage up on Cuker Lake, and if we go out there on the 4th of July, and Louie said to Mom, I want you to see something. So he took her in a boat out in the middle of Cuker Lake, and it was getting near dark, and everybody around Cuker Lake was starting up their bonfires or their flares or whatever they had, and Mom said it was just beautiful. So when we got home, she said, I think we could do that around our lake. Would that be nice? So we did, and we, we sent the flyers so that you've got a picture of the flyers. And we started in 1988. We put the flyers out when we went around the whole lake and dropped off flyers at all the stores, uh, bars, or whatever place we could find a place to put a flyer. And the first year, it was quite successful and it has grown every year since then. That was in 1988 we started. When we come back on Talk of the Town, we'll hear about the making of the documentary on Great Sacandaga Lake. You're listening to Magic 590 and 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Talk of the Town continues on Magic 590 and 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joined now by Lauren Roberts, Saratoga County historian, one of the producers of the new and very popular documentary, Harnessing Nature, Building the Great Sacandaga Lake. I was a co-producer of the film along with Jason Kemper, who is the director of Saratoga County Planning and also the treasurer of the Great Sacandaga Lake Advisory Council. And also um, Peter Pape, who was our documentarian, was another co-producer. So quite a few hands worked on this, but making a documentary uh, is uh, is quite a, a project. Had you ever done that before? I had never worked on a documentary project. Uh, we started out as a film committee with many of the historians from communities around the lake, and it was really a collaborative project. And as we got the funding from uh, Great Sacandaga Lake Advisory Council, we had to boil it down to a couple of key players to be able to complete the documentary in just under two years. Okay. And and when were you finished? When did you start uh, showing it around, if you will? We released it uh, in November on Thanksgiving weekend. It was the first public showing and that was at Northville Central School Auditorium. We showed it twice in one day, and we had about 400 people come to each one of those screenings. Yeah, I would say in, in local terms, this has been as big as Star Wars going around, <laughs> you know, because um, we saw it, my family uh, and I saw it up in Charlton, where my uh, daughter and son-in-law uh, live, and it, it was more than packed. I mean, it was standing room only to see it. Yes, we have had an overwhelming response to the film, much more so than we ever expected. We've probably shown it ourselves uh, maybe about between 12 and 15 times, and I know other local groups have shown it as well. Um, We've sold almost 
I would say around 4,000 copies of the DVD, which was way more than we ever expected. And we're just so thrilled that, you know, so many people are showing an interest in the project. Yeah, 4,000. That's that's really great. And um, as with a lot of people, our family has a connection up there. I mentioned that my daughter and son-in-law live in Charlton, but they have a weekend summer camp up uh, near the Bachelorville Bridge. Uh, and so, of course, they're one of the 4,000. They bought a copy of, of this. And I, I imagine that's, well, would you, would you say, I mean, that's an obvious point, that this is the great interest. So many people have vacationed there and know the area and, and so forth. Yes, and I think it's an interesting story. I think it's not only the people that live there now that want to know the past, but I think there are a lot of families that still have connections to firsthand accounts of the people who were actually affected by the flooding. So even though you know, it's been almost 90 years, there are still family names that live in the valley along the lake today that, that uh, had relatives that were were primarily affected back in the 1920s. Mm. Yes, and in fact, that's a main part of the documentary is you show the, I don't know, the tension between the people that lived there who were, in a sense, being evicted. Not in a sense, they were being evicted from their, from their homes and the, the needs of the larger population of the state to prevent flooding. One thing that occurred to me is, you know, uh, in the past few years or a you know, number of decades there's been a lot of controversy about the regulating agency, the Hudson River, Black River regulating agency. I think somehow the the angst or the anger of, of the residents who were displaced have carried over to the uh, the new occupants, if you will, you know, because uh, maybe they're not quite aware of the the reason that the lake has to go up and down and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, I think, you know, there is definitely two sides to this story, and we did try to to show both sides. Uh, there were devastating floods every spring, almost every spring, and definitely something needed to be done. Um, of course, you don't you didn't want to be one of the ones that was uh, affected or flooded out, but it ended up that the people in the valley were the ones that had to pay the price for the downstream communities to have flood control. Um, Hudson River, Black River Regulating District has, you know, had some controversy uh, over the years, but as far as the, the process of this film goes, uh, their entire staff was wonderful to us. Uh, I spent many days in their basement, in the field office, searching through records, and they do have many, many different record collections. Uh, so uh, I'm very grateful to them for all of their mm. help, and um, uh, we wouldn't have been able to have some of the material we had for the film without their help. Well, since we aired some of the excerpts of the documentary, you had a gentleman, I don't know if we even identified him when we put it, well, I guess we did, but his name is John Ferguson, talking about what a engineering feat the creation of the reservoir was. Who was Mr. Ferguson? So John Ferguson is a surveyor, but he also worked for the regulating district. Um, and he he was a wealth of knowledge. I would say he was 
the person I would always call if I had a question, um, mostly about the, the surveying portion of it, which was such a huge undertaking. Um, you can see in the documentary some of the photographs we took of the surveying equipment they used, which Hudson River, Black River Regulating District has saved and they have in their field office. Um, you know, what we would consider rudimentary equipment, and the surveying was so spot on, they still use many of those surveys uh, as their base points for today, 90 mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. uh, they were within inches um, in their accuracy. It really is, is quite amazing. But John has, has really spent a lot of time researching. He's very familiar with Sacandaga Park in that area. He's, he's a lake resident, and he was, he was a great interview and had a lot of good information, um, both from working for the district and also as a surveyor in the Sacandaga Valley region. And we also used an excerpt from Charlotte Duncan Russell. Who is she? Charlotte is a former uh, Village Northville, Town of Northampton historian. Uh, she has passed away. She passed away quite a while ago, but that um, that particular interview was done in the 1980s with Charlotte, and she grew up in um, Northampton and Northville area, and she was one of the people who remembered um, what what it felt like to be affected firsthand by the flooding. And I think she, I think the clip you have, she tells the story about how she was a little girl and she thought about when they said they were going to flood the valley um, about the flood in the Bible. And that's you can imagine in the minds of children how this would seem that mm -hmm. you know that they were going to flood their homes. Mm -hmm. And we also had an excerpt about the uh, Sacandaga uh, Park, the Fonda Johnstown and Gloversville uh, Park. Uh, that somehow always gets into the stories of the of the uh, Great Sacandaga Lake or the creation of the reservoir because it seems so. I don't know what, what it seemed, but I mean, it was, they flooded people's houses, but there also there was this amusement park that got flooded. Sure. I, you know, I think it's one of the better known stories of Sacandaga because Sacandaga Park was such a destination uh, from the late 1800s right up until they flooded. And of course, the FJNG had enough money to fight the regulating district, whereas a lot of local residents did not have the money to hire individual lawyers to plead their case. The FJNG was able to get an injunction, and they did hold up the project. Ultimately, the court found it against them, but uh, they, you know, they were able to extract a handsome settlement, mm -hmm. uh, even though they did lose a large majority of the park. And I was fascinated, and I ask you for a, this particular uh, excerpt uh, with the divers. I mean, people who dive under. Second dog, you know, for whatever reason. Like, why, why would they? Why do they do that? Do they do that for the documentary, or do they do it for like business or other reasons? Yes, uh, the divers are part of a, a recreational group. They dive all over, so it really is for recreation. Um, we contacted them because there is a lot of speculation about what lies under the water. Um, I've lived on the lake my whole life. I've heard several stories of people hitting this 
church steeples with the props of their boats or, you know, there's full houses under there, there's trains under there. Um, and we wanted to be able to show firsthand with a dive team what actually was down there. And Lauren says the dive team did not find churches or other structures below the top of the Great Sacandaga Lake. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590 and 100.5. Our guest, Lauren Roberts, Saratoga County historian, one of the producers of a documentary called Harnessing Nature, Building the Great Sacandaga Lake. This program can be heard as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com.